Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is The Guardian. So it's no longer a political or an economic issue. It's actually a lived experience. This is no longer performative politics. What's going on in the property market is not a sideshow. It's the main game. And people want, from what we can see, a big discussion about this, and they are open to disruptive and radical ideas. Hello, I'm Paul Karp, Guardian Australia's Chief Political Correspondent. I'm here with Peter Lewis, the Executive Director of Essential. We're discussing this fortnight's Guardian Essential poll. The housing debate is heating up in Parliament with the Greens and Labor still negotiating on the Housing Australia Future Fund. So we'll be discussing that and other measures to tackle the housing crisis and what voters think of those. And a few topics out of Peter Dutton's budget reply, including sports betting ads and the Coalition's focus on migration numbers. Let's get into it. Hello, Peter. Hey, Paul. How are you? Yes, very well. Thank you for running the numbers again. There was a lot to sink our teeth into, especially as people are sweating on rent rises and seeing house prices on the rise again. It was great to hear from people about what they think might fix this. Yeah, and it just feels like it's such a big conversation and often the tendency in politics is to to narrow it down to a specific measure or a specific idea. So it was really interesting just to, to go broad broad and deep on housing this week. And what better place to be talking about this but Australia's biggest house. I'm down here with you in the cave. (laughs) Uh, So how bad do people think the housing crisis is and who do they think it's bad for? We ask people to think about housing. And by housing, we mean laws and regulations that provide protection and benefits when owning or buying, selling or renting a residential property. So the full gambit. And then we said, so do you think the system is um, working well or badly for the following purposes? And what we got was, I think, this snapshot of the majority of people saying the system's broken. So get this, if we ask, do you think the system is very good or somewhat good for Australia at a whole, it's only like 17% with only 3% saying it's very good. It's even less for future generations where it's um, 11% of people saying this is a system that is good for future generations. Under 15 for renters. Um, For the community, it's under 25%. So we just came at at different angles. 
Obviously, it's seen as working better for people who already own their home, but even then, it's only 43% say it's working well for them. So it's kind of now in this sense where the system's not working for anybody. If you're a mortgage owner, you're bearing an unreasonable burden in terms of the fight against inflation. If you're a renter, you're being hit with the double whammy of um, rising rental prices and a higher barrier to get into the market. It's only if you're sort of sitting back in the easy chair of one or two investment properties that are all being subsidised by taxpayer money that the system's really working for you. So people, people throw around the term broken system for all sorts of things all the time. But when you look at housing and the way that people are going at the moment, the problem feels so big and so large that it's really hard even to, to know where to start. Yeah, one saving grace in that is at least people were able to recognise that you know some people have it better off, people that own their own home and, and landlords. So there was there was some differentiation um, there. More than fifty percent saying it was bad for renters, future generations, and Australia as a whole, and sort of low double digits saying it was good for for those groups. So and it's this failing, failing. And it is a perverse system at the moment where those at the bottom end can't get access to social housing. Um, there's no money for you know, unemployment benefits, but there is still this untouchable class of investors and apparently we can't touch negative gearing or capital gains tax or family trust because because 2019. So as I say in my Guardian column this week, I think it's a wicked problem that has the potential to unleash our darker angels. Let's maybe start with those tax concessions then, because it was sort of odd that a lot of these measures uh, to curb the generous tax concessions, like limiting negative gearing to one property or taxing deceased estates or removing all negative gearing, they sort of had pluralities in favour of those options and then, uh, you know, a quarter or just less than a quarter opposed and then others sitting on the fence. It's a very mixed sort of result. Some people want to tackle the concessions and others don't. Well, yeah, there's when, when you're receiving the concessions, I guess. Um, and again, I'll walk the listeners through this. And if you want to play at home, essentialreport.com.au, all these tables are there with the cross tabs. So there is 57% support to prevent wealthy families from using family trust to split their assets to minimise tax, which is what a family trust is. There is 49 and only 17% opposed to only allow people to claim negative gearing tax concessions on one investment property, which was an idea floated over the last couple of weeks. It's that mythical, honest, hardworking cop with the one investment property that becomes a human shield for the property accumulation industry and remove all negative gearing concessions on investment properties. Um, that's 36% support and 25 So that's the one where you do have a bit of a plurality. And I don't want to, if we want to save the... Um, the death tax to later, but when you frame inheritance tax as taxing deceased estates worth more than $5 million to fund affordable rentals, like it's 47-22 support. Now you can imagine... You don't want to be, you don't want to be a government going into, you like proposing a big whack on people with, with less than 50% of people in favour of it though. I know, and it's not a feasible idea in the current climate. But one of the points I make is that if things get really bad, these are the conversations. We're actually one of the few countries that don't have death duties. And I did a bit of research on this. And bizarrely, we got rid of them in the 70s when Joe Bjocchi-Peterson, the um, peanut-growing um, Premier of Queensland, dropped them because he wanted to attract people to Queensland. And rather than people saying, go... <laughs> 
you old people to Queensland, everyone said, no, stay. And we all got rid of all our death duties. Mm, interesting. I a bit of history lesson there. Um, well, let, moving off tax concessions onto some of the other solutions or purported solutions to the housing crisis. Now, some of these, I'm sure, are, are quite controversial. So I should make the point that we're not suggesting that these would be effective at solving the housing crisis, but they are policies that are that are linked in the political debate. For example, you know, capping migration until we have sufficient affordable housing uh, is something that One Nation has proposed and the coalition has hinted at in criticising uh, the big increase in net migration since COVID borders reopened. Another one of the options here that you gave people is freezing rental increases, which the Greens have proposed. What, what did people think of these drastic uh, policies? Were they, were they in favour of them? They were um, enthusiastically in favour of them, Paul, and it's interesting. The propositions from the left and the right, both Ghana on my counting, about 60% support with um, under 20% opposition, the rest in the middle. So place a freeze on rental increases, 36 hard support, 24 soft support, somewhat support, similar to capping immigration until we have sufficient housing affordability. That's another 60%. And then when you go to further restrictions on foreign investment in residential property, it's up in the 70% zone. So I, I think it's fair to say that you put any idea in front of people on housing and they'll say, yep, at the moment. So it's almost like there's a, a shopping list and most people are saying, do it all. Now, obviously, I'm a pollster, not a housing policy expert, but these are all the ideas out there. The um, Accessing the super, which is another liberal policy, that's at over 50% support. That's 56%. And Capping the number of investment properties someone could own, God forbid, is at 50% support with just 23% opposition. So there's a broad suite. And I think that as the problem gets more and more wicked, the appetite for radical systemic reform is going to be greater and greater. Yeah, I mean, you can sort of see the desperation here that people have in the do something, anything, that all of them garnered 50% or above support. But there is still a wide range in, you know, 50% saying cap investment properties up to then 68% saying restricting foreigners from owning investment properties. So that there is a differentiation in the level of support for these measures. And I, I thought it was quite interesting that uh, a rental freeze was towards the higher end of that with 60% support because we did see that Anthony Albanese uh, put renters' rights on the National Cabinet agenda after many months of the Greens calling for that. Now, Labor doesn't want a rent freeze, but we could see a situation where, you know, rents can only be increased once a year and only by a certain amount, like we have here in the ACT. Uh, so we, we could get a rental handbrake, if not a freeze. I, I wonder whether they were seeing similar things in, in their numbers. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That Look, I think that rental particularly is becoming a totemic generational issue up there with climate change. And I think the Greens have been really effective at tapping that justifiable anger. And we've seen this movie before. We've seen when an economic system, the, the free market fails people, that people are open to a whole bunch of increasingly radical ideas. And without, you know, sounding the alarm around Dutton's immigration, like I remember doing research back in, you know, 2001 around 
the deregulation of the labour market and the opening of trade barriers. And we were getting back then, we just want the government to protect us and put up the walls. Now, John Howard read that same research and he turned back the boats. Like, you can deal with these issues at their root cause or you can do the symbolic anti-investment, anti-immigration play. Um, it, it kind of works when the economic system is so broken that the status quo is no longer tenable. So sort of the challenge, I think, for Labor is to either be exposed to, let's call it for what it is, a bit of a dog whistle, or embrace more radical reform, like intervening in what has always been this free market delivering housing to really vulnerable people. The thing that jumped out at me is also that these ideas are capturing support across the political spectrum. So a rental freeze is a Greens policy, but 61% of Labor supporters are in favour of it. Um, 55% of coalition as well. Yeah. Using using super for housing is a coalition policy, but even half of Labor voters backed that. Capping migration is is obviously a very divisive topic and slightly concerning about the, the level of support that that got, but that had a majority among Labor supporters as well at 53%. So that's what I found interesting in this is that a lot of these are opposition and minor party policies, but even a lot of Labor supporters are backing it. So I think there's something interesting here that we we have political issues where there are fights where you can sort of pick the side that different parties will play. Then you've got economic debates which are kind of outsourced to the experts and end up being lots of acronyms and big amounts of money that nobody can quite understand. And then when you get a systems failure like this, it just sort of opens it up. So it's no longer a political or an economic issue. It's actually a lived experience. This is no longer performative politics. What's going on in the property market is not a sideshow. It's the main game. And people want, from what we can see, a big discussion about this, and they are open to disruptive and radical ideas. And I guess for someone from the progressive side, it's just in front of, I think, Labor and the Greens to work cooperatively to make sure that those radical ideas are ones that move us forward as a nation rather than turn us in on ourselves. Mm, mm. Some good news for Labor, though, in uh, terms of people's reaction to their Housing Australia Future Fund, uh, which, as described to the respondents, uh, aims to invest $10 billion and spend the earnings on building 30,000 affordable homes over the next five years. Uh, Did people think that was too hot, too cold or just right? Yeah, we did put the Goldilocks, is it, test and, you know, 9% too much. 30% too little, which is the Greens' position, 41% about right, 20% on the fence. So it does seem to have landed in the middle, which is sort of, you know, when you're trying to play the centre ground, there is always ground to occupy. I think that even Labor would recognise that this is a first step on the journey to dealing with the housing system rather than the end of the story. But whether or not it gets through, there there are some really interesting projects ready to roll from what I can understand if that money does get through. Mm-hmm. Now, in addition to the uh, dog whistle on net migration figures, another big feature of opposition leader Peter Dutton's budget reply was uh, the proposal to ban betting ads during broadcast of sports matches and an hour either side. Uh, of course, the crossbench has an even stronger uh, suggestion. They want to ban the broadcast of the ads altogether. 
You gave people a menu of options of what to do about betting ads. You asked if they think they should be allowed at all times, if they are in favour of banning them during matches only, or whether they should be banned from broadcast altogether. What did you find there? Look, the strongest support is for a blanket ban, but it's not majority support. So 43% um, sports betting advertising should be banned altogether, 26% for the Dutton option, and then 16% let it rip with another 15% not sure or not having an opinion. So um, I think good on Peter Dutton for putting this one out there. I'm still intrigued at how issues around betting are generating lots of media and then how they're landing as a salience of issue. I know we had the New South Wales election where pokies was seen as being this really big and dominant issue, but the the impact wasn't, I think, what people were expecting on voting. So we just got to watch how that one plays out, I reckon. Mm. And Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has said that he finds the ads annoying. Communications Minister Michelle Rowland has said that the status quo isn't good enough. So I, I think there is a view among Labor that they have to do something. It's just whether they go for the the more absolute... Go uh, for the kill. Yeah, more absolute option uh, that will annoy the broadcasters who obviously want some revenue from the advertising or whether they take the bipartisanship with the coalition for the sort of middle of the road option. Yeah, and it's an interesting one. It feels like a piece of government policy debate that is very targeted at individuals' experiences. I think younger generations are really embracing the sports betting experience. Like my kids, you watch them, they don't watch their side anymore. They're watching a few players. They're not betting a lot of money, but it just fundamentally changes the way people watch sport. Um, So amongst under 34s, it's only 28% support for a total ban, 33% for the minor ban and 24 to let it rip. So it, it is significantly different to older where it's 56% to ban it. So... The marketing of the sports betting agencies has kind of worked. People, people <laughs> dual screening the the, the oh, game, the game with everything. their with their betting app. Mm, yeah. Deary, um, the no. multi, the multi. Did um, Callum Mills kick five goals? No, he's out. Sorry. <laughs> um, you also asked a series of questions. The context for which is we're obviously having an important discussion in Australia about race uh, ahead of the Indigenous Voice referendum and also, uh, you know, because broadcaster Stan Grant has stood down as the Q&A host over racist abuse uh, and extremely harsh media attention based on his commentary during the ABC's coronation coverage. So you've gone into the the sensitive area of of race. Uh, What did you ask? people here. And and look, we did do this with open eyes. And what we did was we asked a series of questions we asked back in 2019 to see whether the mood had shifted. And this is almost, obviously, we're not polling people on whether they see themselves as racist or not. What we're seeing is we're putting statements to them and seeing how they reflect. And what's interesting is the movement. Um, And there's two that stand out to me. So that whole people are scared to say what they really think because they don't want to be labelled a racist has gone up from 62 to 67. And that's the the comment. And you can see how that attitude can be tapped in a year like the year we're having. Um, I think Australia is less racist than it's been in the past. It's 50. It was 50 last time. Australia is a racist country up from 36 to 41. 
Um, a member of my family has experienced racism or racial discrimination, 29 up to 32. I have personally experienced racism and racial discrimination, 27 to 31. And I feel torn between my identity with Australia and other culture. It's gone up from 18 to 19. Now, obviously, those bottom questions are really coloured by people's um, self-identification of their own background. And we've got the cross tabs, which will also be up there on the site on that as well. Yeah, the the biggest movements were, you know, Australia is a racist country, up five points to 41%. So either Australia has got more racist or there is more awareness of that um, in terms of, you know, possibly because we're confronting difficult difficult issues and having difficult conversations. Um, but then also... The trope. The, also- the, the trope about too scared to say what you think uh, is up. So I think, you know, we're having that difficult conversation and for some that increases awareness of, of problems in Australian society and for other people they, they say, well, I'm being shut down for my, my opinions. But Even- it feels like, Paul, that... Looking at these numbers and looking at the debate, both around voice and, as we said, around housing, that it's almost like we're entering a really hot summer and there hasn't been a lot of backburning and there's a lot of kindling waiting to be lit. And I think these numbers say to me that it's incumbent on all participants, particularly, you know, in the voice debate, to be really cognizant that you don't want to be you know, running the re-racialising Australia lines, which are just demonstrably untrue, but also so destructive and so undermining of the real work you need to do to make sort of build economic opportunity, both with Indigenous people, but also, as we saw earlier with the housing system, like we can go low as a country or go high. And it's just too easy just sometimes either to do the false equivalence and just saying, well, there's two sides to the story, so we should hear them both or just go for the easy headline. Yeah, there's obviously a dark path to victory for the no campaign if they can harness people's views that society is changing to their detriment or they're being censored or that some people will have um, more more rights than others. You can almost read the playbook just in this polling. It kind of sends a bit of a chill down my spine. Well, you you think about the overlap, which, I mean, you found sort of 59% of people are in favour of The Voice in in previous polls. And in this poll, 67% of people are expressing the fear that they're being being silenced and they can't say anything anymore or they'll be accused of racism. So there's there's obviously an, an overlap in people who um, have enough goodwill to Indigenous Australians that they want to do this for them, but they also fear change or think that they're, you know, being disadvantaged in public discourse. Mm. There's some fascinating Venn diagrams that just sort of come when you start looking at those sort of almost like we are hugely contradictory. And when you put different impulses in front of people, they react. And all we can do is look at the findings and then try to make sense of it. But um, we're actually going to go the voice again next fortnight. So I think we can develop some of this more thinking because it is really becoming such an important part of our our discourse this year. Mm. And, you know, we strive to understand uh, people's attitudes because that can help explain why we're seeing particular tactics used in debate, but we're not, you know, endorsing any particular argument in the public discourse. We're just seeking to understand what, what people think out As there. As a progressive pollster, maybe I am, but I know you're not, Paul. And um, <laughs> But particularly, I do think that we've got to be really clear-headed about the arena that we bring public discourse into. And also, I think, make sure that the nature of that show fight, which is what politics often is, is a productive one and not one that poisons it and makes it harder for us to move forward. Mm. 
All right, well, we'll try and bring you uh, more antidote and less poison in this and every episode of Australian Politics. Uh, Thank you very much for joining me, Peter. Thanks, Paul. This episode was produced by Mel Chun. The executive producer is Miles Martignoni. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.